Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Praise the Lord. Well, you know what? We are, we are creatures of habit, aren't we? And uh, we, we just get things so figured out in our own minds as to how things work. We, we are often, we are listening. If you're like me, oftentimes I am listening to a problem and more than I'm listening to the problem, I'm thinking about the solution already. I'm, I've, I've got the, all the if-then scenarios already played out in my mind, you know, as to how things work. And, and we, we attend seminars and conventions and they're all the aim of many of those events is sharing sufficient information with us that's supposed to inform our behavior to change our outcomes you know it's like if you're if you're broke then here's how to get rich if you're out of shape then here's how to get fit if you you know if you don't understand the tax code here let us inform you and get you all updated and and we're presented constantly in life with all of these if-then scenarios and and let me say this as it pertains to this series we're we're in uh, I think our third or fourth week now of this series walking in wisdom and as it relates to this series of messages I don't want you to think that this is one of those type events this is not one of those type messages where we just simply come in and say well if we do x y and z then our outcomes will be changed and this will be the end result now obviously there is some credibility to that statement there's some value to that as believers did you know that simply if you lived in a mechanical obedience to the word of the Lord, your life would instantaneously be better. If, if, <laughs> that's right. If you simply read this word as a rule book and said, here's the rules of life, let me follow these to the T, your life would instantaneously be better. You'd be a better steward of your finances. You'd experience less relational conflict in your life. If everybody followed this book, there'd be no such thing as STDs. There'd be no war. There'd be no violence. Nobody would ever suffer the agony of having a friend or a loved one raped, murdered, molested. It just, it wouldn't happen. So life would instantaneously be better. And I'm not saying that it would be a perfect world void of hardships and difficulties, but it would certainly be a better life. But Jesus didn't die for you and I to have a better life. He died for you and I to have a full life, a life of abundance, a life of overflow. And I know as I'm studying the wisdom of God that I am keenly interested in having different outcomes in my life. And we're going to conclude this series next week with speaking about some of those various outcomes that we experience as we walk in the wisdom of God. But studying this word also, however, informs us that God is not simply interested in changing the outcomes of our lives. He's interested in the outcomes of our lives changing as a result or a product of the transformation that is taking place on the inside of us my outcomes are changing because I am becoming different not because I've adopted different habits or disciplines but I my life is changing because I am being changed are you with me 
You, you got that, okay, good. If you, if you and I really want to get to the heart of the matter, and we're going to be looking into this word, we're going to find places where our lives are counter to the wisdom of God, and we're not simply going to purpose to change our behavior. We're going to say, Holy Spirit, change me. Because this is an area in my life where my character is not consistent with the character of God. Change me, Lord. And the outcome will take care of itself. You see, there's some wisdom found in a simple obedience, but not the fullness of wisdom. The fullness of wisdom comes in change. And this has been a huge problem historically in the church. And that is this, that that we... For, for way, way, way too long, we have taught and drilled home a change in behavior. If you are really a Christian, then you shouldn't behave that way. Now, obviously, there's some validity to that. If, we, if we've got a changed life, there's going to be a changed life. Amen? If, if we are new creations, then there are some things about us. But we have made sure to, to make a point of expressing the mechanics of Christianity that if you, if you will behave a certain way. But how many of you know there are people who come to church week in and week out who behave a certain way and wouldn't dare transgress the rule of the law, but inside they are spiritually languishing and dying and perishing on the vine and they have no abundance they have no fullness of life because they've reduced the law of the Lord to a simple matter of mechanics we changed our behavior though somewhere along the way we realized that and we changed our message a little bit we changed because we found that a behavior void of a changed heart yields the irrelevance of hypocrisy and we abandoned we abandoned that model then and we just went to the other end of the spectrum and we started preaching a grace that doesn't impact our lives at all it just simply gives us a get out of hell free card and now we now we have believers who run around professing Christ but there's no evidential life change about them that indicates that the, that Jesus is truly the lord of their lives And as we study the wisdom of God, what we're going to do is we're going to find those places in our lives that are out of line and we need to offer ourselves submissively to the Lord to be transformed and renewed in our hearts and our minds until we continually more and more and more become reflective of the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. That's why I wanted to share this message with you today because we've, we've spent so much time leading up defining wisdom and talking about exactly what wisdom is. But I want to tell you where it begins to really take effect and impact your life. It's not simply because you know the word. It's not simply because you've filled your mind with the knowledge of the things of God. But where it really begins, where wisdom really begins to impact your life and mine is when we live submissively to the authority of God. We've already established the simple knowledge of the word does not effectively make one wise. Wisdom is the act of making application of what you know. And before you make application of what you know to any situation or circumstance around you, application of what you know needs to be made in your heart, in your life, in your mind, renewing our minds. 
So I want to share with you a few simple steps today how we, can, how we can get started on this pathway of wisdom and where wisdom begins in your life and mine. Where one, one of the first places where wisdom will begin in your life and mine is with an honest assessment. An honest assessment of ourselves. We've got to get into this word. We've got to look into the revelation of God's character and nature. And we've got to find the disparity between what we read in the word and how we order our lives. Do you know what we'll often find when we, when we get into those places of, of deep assessment? We'll find, uh, we find out things like what drives our decisions. Why do we think why do we behave why do we respond the way that we do is it self-seeking and the envy of which james spoke do we simply order our lives after the things that appeal to our senses stroke our egos and safeguard against our feelings of inadequacy do we operate from places of anger and hurt or are we seeking to honor god and walk in the light of his word listen if you've ever spent any time in the dark you know the value of the light if you've ever used your late night furniture finder aka your pinky toe to traverse a dark room then you know the value of light right you know that if if the light had been on you wouldn't have hurt yourself if the, if the light had been on, you wouldn't have stumbled. If the light had been on, you wouldn't have made a mess. But the light wasn't on. And so oftentimes, I believe we're walking in places where the light's not on and we're behaving in, 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 in accordance with ways where the light isn't on. But the psalmist said in Psalm 119, Lord, your word, O Lord, it's a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path it's there for us to light the way and to show us the hazards and the dangers along life's pathway but we've got to be vigilant and we've got to be honest can we be honest you know here's here's the thing i i like being honest honesty and here's why honesty is such a wonderful crucible for improvement Honesty is a wonderful crucible for improvement. Because you cannot improve anything that you're not willing to be honest about. You cannot improve anything that you're not willing to be honest about. You've got to be willing to look at your life and say, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure that I have the right motives when I'm making that decision or I, I know that this action is contrary to what I know to be the truth. Listen, honesty deals in reality and reality is the only place where growth and maturity can take place. And church, we're leading you this year, Pastor Lisa and myself, we've prayerfully considered and we're leading you this year and, and you're gonna hear more about it as Vision Sunday approaches and things like that, but you've already heard it mentioned several times. We want this church to go deeper. We, we want you to go deeper in the things of God. We want you to experience God in ways that you never have before. And the only way to get deeper is to get honest and to get real. And you know, while most of us would never think of lying to another person, we lie to ourselves and we allow ourselves to be lied to constantly. And consequently, it leads us outside the realms of reality and reality is the only place wherein we can begin to apply the truth of God to our lives. 
Now, while we're being honest, let's just let's be let's be real honest here and and say that we all have things in our lives we know that are hindering us, don't we? Things that we think nobody else knows. Things that we know are wrong. Things that we'd be ashamed for anybody else to know about us. Things that others do know and we know they know and we know that it's wrong and we know that they know that it's wrong but we will strive and strain and press to justify ourselves before them and settle our own minds just to make us feel good because we'd rather feel good than get right now regardless of how we front we know that we have things in our lives that are contrary to the wisdom of God and we've got to be willing to make an honest assessment of our lives and be willing to confess those things before God and say Lord I know this isn't right but here's why we often can't make an honest assessment is because in order to make an honest assessment we have to have a change in perspective and that change in perspective I mentioned it last week but most of the time we find ourselves in places of disobedience and hardship not because we sought to disobey God but rather we had already considered ourselves to be wise in our own sight and half the time we can't make an honest assessment because we can't get over the fact of how smart we are we, we like to give ourselves a pass. We, sometimes we think that we're so smart and so special that we found the technicalities of grace that has been provided for us and, and therein lies some loophole that we're just going to cling to the grace of God and live our own lives and do our own thing and somehow or another in the end we anticipate that Jesus is going to look down from the judgment seat on our lives and survey all these things and ponder for a few minutes and scratch his head and say well well I'm a dog you have outsmarted me this time man why didn't I see that I, I, I left the door wide open for you I'm, my bad I'm sorry but that's not going to happen the, word, the Bible says that his word is forever settled. It's, it's the same for you and I that it was for the first century believer. It's the same for you and I that it'll be for generations that endure as long as the Lord tarries his coming. It's, it's going to be the same. Listen, wisdom begins when we have a perspective of our own reasoning and wisdom against the wisdom of God. Now, you know what we need? We need the perspective that Ezekiel had when God asked him a question. We need the perspective that Ezekiel had when God asked him a question. Look with me, if you will, in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, this is if you've been to church any length of time, especially if you've ever attended any of those two and three week long Pentecostal revivals, you have most certainly heard the prophecy of Ezekiel 37. If it's new to you, then hang on tight and, and you're going to understand a little bit of this by the time we're through. But Ezekiel 37 begins, and, and Ezekiel is a prophet in the Old Testament, and it says that he was in the Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and it says, Then the hand of the Lord came upon me, and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. Everybody say, very dry they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live again son of man can these bones 
live again now you may be asking today now pastor what exactly does ezekiel's prophecy have to do with a lesson in wisdom and where wisdom begins in our lives you know and and here's the application i believe that my out of my observations of human nature and the way that i am guilty of handling my own affairs and my own life i believe that you know if god had spoken to me and said son of man steve can these bones live again i believe that we'd we'd all probably have done one of two things we would have looked at god when god said you know george patsy keith can these bones live again we would have looked at God and we just said, well, Lord, I don't know. I mean, I just, you, you caused me to pass through and survey and they're very dry. It's been a long time. I, I just, I've prayed and I've believed and I've sought and I've, I've cried and I've trusted and I've declared and decreed and everything I can think to do. And it's been, and they're still very dry. They're still very dry, Lord. I, I just don't know. The, the second thing I believe that you and I might have been guilty of doing is this. The Lord would have said to me, he'd have said, he'd said, Steve, can these bones live again? I would have immediately got down in the sand and it would have sounded something like this. Let's see now. The foot bone's connected to the leg bone. The leg bone's connected to the knee bone. And the Lord said, what do you think? I'd say, hold, hold on just a second, Lord. Let me figure it out. I haven't, I haven't quite figured out yet whether or not these bones can live again. I'll let you know. Lord, I, I know you're asking me because you want to know what I think, and I will let you know as soon as I figure out what I think whether or not these bones can live again. Do you know that, Ezekiel, that God did not care what Ezekiel's opinion was about the issue when he asked him whether or not the bones could live again? And I want to tell you something today. God often is not interested in what you think about the difficulties of your life. What he's looking for as you pass through the fires and as you traverse the waters of life and you are climbing up the rough side of your mountain, what God is looking for is somebody with the humility to look back in the face of God and say, Lord, I don't know, but you know. You know why I'm passing through this fire. You know why I'm going through this valley. You know why I'm having to go through this situation in my life. And Lord, it appears to me dead thrice dead and plucked up by the root but God you know whether it's going to live or not and I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep trusting in you and I'm going to keep looking to you for your wisdom and your guidance in my life whatever comes oh Lord God you know And if we really want to walk in the wisdom of God, we must understand that we cannot even begin to find the fullness of God until we have been willing to recognize the emptiness and the insufficiency of our own lives, our own knowledge, our own wisdom apart from God in our lives. We can't can't even start 
We can't even start. We've got to have a changed perspective. I know that God has given us gifts and abilities. I know that God has given us a powerful, it's almost superhuman at this point. Um, if you look around at our world, I think it's Dave Ramsey who says common sense is so uncommon it might soon be considered a superpower. And, and I know that God has gifted us in those ways and he has given us the ability to think and to, and to factor and figure things out, but he never intended that you and I would go through this life simply reliant on our intellect and our abilities and our, our capability of finding the answer to every situation. But I'm telling you, church, if you really want to get down and you want to start walking in wisdom, you're going to have to come to a place where you get before God in humility and you get down before him and say, Lord, I, I am weak but you are strong I, I am I am a simple man I've been pastoring a church churches for Pastor Lisa and I've been leading churches now for, for 20 years and, and this is what we know 20 years later is that we know less about leading churches and people now than we did 10 years ago 10-15 years ago I can tell you I knew everything. <laughs> but experience has taught me that I don't know nothing. I don't, just when I think I've seen it all, I see something new. Just, just, when I think, just when I think I couldn't find anything else that I haven't seen or experienced or walked through, Lord have mercy, there's global pandemic. And I, I don't know. I don't know, just, just when I think I've seen it all and experienced everything and counseled and, and talked about and all these things, then there's tensions and divides in our nation that I haven't encountered before. And what I realize every day is that I can't get up and do anything out of habit. I can't afford to get up and just do something because it's what I've always done. I've got to get up every day and say, God, I thank you for the gifts that you vested in my life, and I thank you for the ability to reason. But God, I know that today I may see things that I've never seen before, and I need the impartation of a holy wisdom in my life that is not something that I possess on my own. And let me tell you something. The honest assessment and the change, in, the change in perspective should lead us to a change in posture. And maybe this is the most important of all the steps because while steps one and two could eventually lead you to step three, if you will start with step three, you will most definitely end up with steps one and two under control. I would almost say that this third step is prerequisite to the others. And here's what I've been waiting the whole message to get to. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Solomon is writing, advising us, instructing us. And he says these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
Now you may be seated here today and you may be way into that indoctrination of grace and you know you, you just have a disdain for any form of legalism or anything that sounds like a rule book or anything of that nature and you might just kind of push back a little bit and say well I don't know pastor because the, the, the gospel that I believe says that perfect love casts out all fear. And now you're telling me that I need to have fear of the Lord. Well, yes. Yes to both, but neither are a contradiction one of the other. Because the Greek word that John uses in his epistle to the church is a word that we would use in our modern vernacular in our everyday language to describe fear. It's, it's the way I feel about roller coasters. It's, it's the way that I would feel if somebody loosed a serpent in here. It's, it's fear. It's fear. An Anxiety-inducing scenarios. Fear. And John says that if our faith and our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will cast out all fear you know they say that there's wars and rumors of wars in this generation and indeed there is and they say there's nuclear buildup over here and there's hostilities and tensions mounting over there and all these things and people stand around and wring their hands over them and, and stand in fear and you know what I, I, I hope you're all ready and I want to be here as long as I can to tell everybody that I can about Jesus. But I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I know that there are sicknesses that are scouring this world. And I know that people have died. And I know that it's a terrible thing. I understand that. I'm not hard to that. I'm not sympathetic to it at all. But I will not be afraid. And I will not be afraid because my word tells me that to be absent from this body is to be present from the, with the Lord. Listen, the psalmist, the psalmist addressed this and said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. He's with me in my going out. He's with me in my coming in. He's with me when I'm well. He's with me when I'm sick. He's with me when I'm abased. He's with me when I'm abounding. He is with me wherever I go. And because of that, I will fear no evil. But the Hebrew word for he fear used here in Proverbs chapter 9. The Hebrew word for fear here in, in Proverbs chapter 9 is not referencing an anxious thought or a visceral reaction caused by some phobia. It's a word that we would translate into our modern language to say it's a moral reverence now if I could reverence is a deep respect for someone or something that's the that's the dictionary definition of reverence a deep respect for someone or something and Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 in the context of that passage I actually believe here that reverence is not a deep respect for someone or something I believe it's a deep respect for someone 
and something. Both. Not either or, both and. And the someone is God Almighty. He's the someone. He's the someone for whom you and I are supposed to have a moral reverence, a reverential fear, we might call it. He's the one. And the something for which we are supposed to have a deep reverence and moral reverence for is his word. This is not a buffet. It's not a smorgasbord that you and I walk through. We pick out the parts that we like and the parts that we don't like. We just don't hold applicable to our own lives. No, it's forever settled in heaven. And we need to reverence it. I don't care what the opinion of popular culture is about it. It doesn't matter if everybody thinks it's antiquated and stale. It's relevant and it's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is our infallible, authoritative rule for faith and conduct. In other words, just like the psalmist, it is supposed to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We're to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God. And no longer proud, no longer arrogant, no longer wise in our own eyes, moral reverence also includes repentance. Now, repentance is more than being sorry that you got caught. That's remorse-ish. It's not even truly remorse. It's just being sorry you got caught. Repentance is more than being sorry that you're suffering the consequences of your transgression. There's a lot of people get sorry over those things. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry for the fallout. Repentance at the very core of it is being truly sorry that you've grieved the heart of God. When the, when the psalmist was taken in, in, in adultery and, and various misgivings in his own life, he didn't say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I did this thing. And God, I'm sorry that I hurt these people, although that's part of it. What he said is, Lord, I'm sorry because against you, I have sinned. I've grieved your heart. That was his primary concern, is Lord, that I've grieved you. Repentance is being sorry that you have transgressed the lordship of Jesus Christ. And church, that's where it all begins. If you'd stand with me here today. That's where wisdom begins. Wisdom begins with the recognition, not just lip service, but a posture of the heart, a posture of the mind, a posture of our being humbly submissively yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ 
to say, Lord, I realize honestly that if I want your grace, if I want your favor, I realize that all of that comes into my life with the purchase price of your blood. And I believe it's Paul who says that we are, those of us who receive the goodness, the grace, and the favor of Almighty God, that in, in the receipt of that, we are no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it, he has the dominion granted him by the Father over all of us, over all of creation. But in the domain of my heart, I yield to him lordship. He won't force himself upon me, but I, I, I yield in acceptance of his gift of grace. I yield my life in lordship to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not about me anymore. It's not about my ego. It's not about the, the material things that I want, but it's about him and bringing glory and honor to his name. And church, I'm telling you, that is where wisdom begins. And too often, I believe that we are touching the hot irons of life. And we get burned over and over and over again because simply we're unwilling to yield to the Lordship of Jesus. Oh, we love the church, we love the songs, we love the worship, the word, the fellowship. But it's the Lordship that often causes us trouble. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.